Welcome to the Best of Seven presented by The Big Lead. My name is Kyle Coster. I'm here with Stephen Douglas. We're coming to you with reaction from the succession season finale, a tour de force of an episode last night. We will be stepping in to our 30,000 foot machine, taking a long view at the season, trying to deduce who is the most likely to succeed with our power rankings here. And this is the culmination of a year unlike any other on the show. This season was up and down. It featured the introduction of a lot of serious new players that we thought would have viable paths to succession. There were new faces and new places in our rankings all year round. And now, as we sit here at the end of this, Stephen, it seems pretty clear who the winners, who the losers were during this nine-episode run. And I have to say, it's an ending that not a lot of people probably saw coming in terms of just how ferocious and how clean of a break Logan Roy is making with the three children that he has that are seriously interested in becoming the next Logan Roy. Yeah, um, Logan, again, uh, he, he walked the walk. He, he proved himself a killer. He, he gave at least one of his children a uh, final shot to come along with him. And when that child balked, he gave his classic uh, fuck off. And then I'm just done with you pedestrians. And then it was back to his business so the Roy children are uh, on the outside looking in as we head into season four whenever that uh, whenever we are blessed with that with that happening before we get into our rankings I just kind of wanted to offer a thought I've seen some mixed reaction to what happened last night and I have to admit through the first 30, 35 minutes of this episode, I was not totally on board. I thought that there was kind of an odd vibe to it. Some of the character motivations didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was kind of like, we need to tie this thing up. Uh, we need to close the loop on Greg. We need to like accelerate his douchiness at a pace that didn't really make sense with the, his arc over the entire show but I really do think that it landed and it landed specifically for me because it opens up the opportunity for next season to be totally different and I think it's a valid critique of the show that it had become a bit repetitive in terms of like the conference room dialogue the who's with this guy no he's with that I can get this and it just kind of became a little bit of circular and and there were the stakes didn't really seem to carry over week to week again this episode is kendall dead no he's he's he just passed out a little bit uh and, and comfrey was there you know maybe she took a lifeguarding course she seems like a lifeguard i get that vibe kind of a wendy peppercorn look to her now that i come oh. to think of it but i really I've... think that next year is going to be a new injection of energy because you're gonna see what it's like when these three don't have the silver spoon in their mouth Kendall just spent a year without it and it did not go well for him. I'm really excited about the future of this show. The introduction of Lucas Matson, who's every bit the equal of Logan and may be atop these rankings, but I do think that it's going to give it a creative spark 
mix it up a little bit and we're going to go in a direction that I think will be good for the show, which ultimately needs like even the best shows out there, some sort of reinvention come season four or season five. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to see uh, Shiv and Roman in a very different place than they've ever been before. And then also Tom is going to be, he's kind of flipped his power dynamic from the way he has looked for most of the season and series. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season. Um, And, and to your point about this episode, it definitely did have like a, a thick cloud of fog or smoke or whatever around it. And I think just the way that they handled the opening with kind of leaving it up in the air, like this is how we would act if Kendall had died and we were all stuck to kind of stuck being around each other to play Monopoly and have Logan try and act like a human grandfather and read a book, which was hilarious. Um, But maybe not as hilarious because we thought that he was doing it because uh, the kid's father died. So I think that kind of set it off on a little weird, uh, set, set a weird tone to start it. And by the time things got rolling, you know, we were, maybe we were in a wrong, the wrong headspace for the usual uh, comedy. Let's get into these power rankings. And it's difficult to do because obviously the three aspiring children did not have a good episode. Mm-mm. Connor is not on this list. I want to give him a quick shout out, maybe at number eight. Willa, after long and lengthy consideration, has decided to answer a will you marry me with a fuck it, which is certainly one way to go. Great year for Connor, even though he did kind of have the one moment in which he totally broke. He told everybody else what he really thinks. We saw that there's some passion behind this docile veneer that he's put out and really some real anger. You know, I mean, when Kendall said that he was the firstborn, Connor did not much care for that, but he is not on the list because he's not as central to the plot as some of the others of some of the other Roy children. Yeah. uh, I think next season is going to be, it's pretty clear that, Connor and Willa's wedding will be the big season wedding as succession has to have a wedding where something horrible can happen to a bunch of people. Yeah. I mean, we should get some Connor Roy uh, wedding planning, a little groomzilla stuff going on. Plus the fact that Willa pretty clearly is only say only said uh, yes, because he was in such a bad place and she wanted to bring him out of his funk. I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have uh, kept the camera on her. She got into the car, looking out the door, just realizing what she had said. I I think it was pretty clear what happened there. And so Connor's storyline next year will probably be, you know, I'm a real little boy too. And also, please don't leave me. But, you know, that's that's why we love Connor. At number seven, leading off our rankings will be Shiv. And, you know, this episode is drawing a lot of comparisons to the Red Wedding. Warranted, I think, especially because Shiv has red hair. And you saw that she had such high hopes when this season began. She was confident. She was cocky. She really thought she was the anointed one. Things did not go as planned. 
years and years of mistreating Tom, taking Tom for granted, not even entertaining the thought that he might have some aspirations as well as you try to make an 11th hour play to usurp control of the company away from your dad. That was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back and just brutal, just a brutal thing to see. She, you know, she, it's kind of weird. Like she always took Tom for granted. And this is the first time that he's ever showed his fangs, his teeth. He's ever channeled Logan Roy, but really I think what's going to sting the most for her is that her husband who she's underappreciated and not respected all these years became that killer version. What Tom was able to do was become that version of the killer that Shiv never was. And to prove the loyalty that she thinks she has shown, but she is so complicated and messed up in terms of like her fi- her family dynamics, both between her mother and her father, that really those flaws manifested. And even in the moment when she is at her lowest, she realizes that she's suffered the ultimate betrayal. Tom comes in to give her a kiss on the forehead and she just wears it stoically, cold, won't even show that human emotion. I still think she's the most competent and talented in terms of launching a response to that. She is going to have to get the mental side together there's a thought that maybe a new partnership that's not Tom unlocks something in her uh, much like she was seemed really engaged when she was having the affair as weird as it may seem to say, but I just think that Shiv's performance in, in this episode is something we're always going to remember that closing scene. What a beautiful way to end it. But if you slow mo, if you replay it in slow motion, you can see the exact moment in which her heart breaks. Yeah, uh, this season was really about Shiv going from uh, thinking she's Michael Corleone to uh, realizing she's Kay. And I think they, I think that was kind of intentional the way they filmed the end with like the the shot through the door as uh, Tom is making his presence known. And just, I mean, we'll get to Tom later. But uh, yeah, Shiv went through a lot, a lot today. Her, her mother getting married and oh well we have to talk about show speech first of all like whose idea was that the the mother can't i i just don't understand these people thinking that all these other horrible people have to speak at these functions it's just so weird because none of them are good at it they're all just horrible that i mean and amazingly that was the best one of uh shiv's speeches went this year because we had earlier in the season with uh, when Rate Me started to play at uh, Waystar. But yeah, Shiv, she's she's in a bad place. She stood up to dad. She, you know, united with her brothers to uh, get shot down and told to fuck off. So it's it's rough sledding ahead for her. But yeah, I think she could, we'll see what, uh, what her new pairing with... Uh, her brothers can do next season should be interesting. And number six is the Waystar establishment. I'm talking about <laughs> Jerry, Frank, Carl, the old heads. You see that the young kids came through and they saw that 
these trusted people that have been around their father for so long were still there making moves in the dark. And I think to me, it just really presented like they've been through the wars before. Like Logan said, the kids are playing toy soldiers. These are actual soldiers. And that means that they don't vary their emotions. They don't go, they don't fly off the handle. They're not impulsive. They don't do crazy things. They don't live and die with each moment. And that's why they've lasted so long in that Viper pit. And as someone who has enjoyed their competence and really believed that they're such an asset to the show and like the kids should just get lost because they're standing in the way of like actually doing business uh, and be a detriment. I really kind of liked to see this. There was nothing, there are personal connections between all of them, right? Especially with Jerry and Roman, which is gone now because of the dick pic. Probably she probably much didn't care for that very much. But yeah, the real G's move in silence and the real G's are all over 70 years old or approaching it. And it was really great to see like that wisdom winning over energy and and kind of seeing it flip like that because so much of the show is like, does this old guy still got it in terms of Logan? But it's like, no, the old guard still has it. They're going to be just fine going forward, I think. And even if they aren't just fine, I think that the financial buyouts for them will set them up to be in a really good place to be playing a lot of golf in a warm climate with a nice drink in their hand. Yeah. The corporate corporate cockroaches, uh, survive again. Uh, they, but they, they, they don't scurry away, uh, behind floorboards or anything. These guys are, we're holed up in this, this palace, this palatial home, this mansion where they set up their European operations for like a day. It just the different settings they used in this late in the season were just ridiculous. Um, you know, tax the rich, please take the money away from these people, these horrible people in their giant homes that they just rent. It's ridiculous. But yeah, they and they just they just show up and they sit down on their giant couches and crunch their numbers and prepare for Gojo to come in and yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine. Lucas Matson said he'd, uh, um, so he's going to rate everyone on their merits. And I mean, somebody has to still run the Waystar portion of the operation of the Gojo operation. So they'll probably keep those guys around for a little while before, yeah, kicking them the curb with their golden parachute or whatever. But, you know, it's, it was tough watching uh, Roman like go to Jerry one last time as, She's like, it doesn't serve my best interests. You're dead to me, basically. So, you know, the Waystar establishment lives lives another day, even if Waystar is about to get gobbled up. We're going to continue with this list in one minute, but I wanted to let you know that the Players' Tribune has launched its first ever mental health podcast called Blindsided. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, This show will share the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and mental health became the most important focus of their lives. This show will allow listeners to have an understanding of the different types of mental health challenges people face and how to combat them. Guests this season include Kevin Love, Paul Basante, and Kurt Warner. Plan your work and work your plan. For many athletes, saying such as this could be considered scripture, permanent signposts lining the long road to success in sports. 
For some, the very act of pursuing a career in sports can give a sense of control, a sense of safety, so long as you stick to the plan. That is, until real life happens. That kind of life that happens when you're making other plans. Breakdowns, insecurity, panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, sudden life changes. Ones that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what's your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life. That's Blindsided, a new podcast coming from the Players' Tribune. Number five, and it's tough to put him here because there were doubts about whether he was alive. There are lingering, there are lingering doubts about his quality of life going forward. We finally saw Jeremy Strong go full Macbeth, go full Shakespeare, have the breakdown by the trash cans on the ground. And it was the culmination of a lot of bad vibes and bad things. He finally shared his dark secret with his siblings, the ones that matter to him, about what happened in England with the caterer. And I think it was cathartic for him. And I think that it honestly could be a turning point. This was rock bottom. There's been a lot of rock bottoms along the way, but to be that broken, to admit failure, to admit that he's like, I can't connect with my kids. I don't have any interest. Like he sounded like a person who was having suicidal thoughts. That's a real concern. But I thought that the outpouring from both Roman and Shiv was really surprising, really compassionate. And, and I resonated so much with what Roman said to him and that you're not really a killer because that's something that I believed. Is Kendall ultimately responsible for that kid's death? Maybe. Did he kill him out of malice? No. He went back. He tried to save him. It was a horrible sequence of events that happened because he wasn't thinking clearly. Obviously, he skirted any type of responsibility, but he didn't kill that kid. And it's something that needed to be said. And I know that it's like it can come off as kind of shocking or inconsiderate or whatever. But that's there's sometimes there's some wisdom in the Roman Roy's of the world presenting it like I wouldn't have gone back to try to save him because there's a lot of people who wouldn't have gone in the water. So I thought that this was cathartic to him. I think that even when you look at someone who is in the depths of despair, this is what he needed to happen in order to get both Shiv and Roman over to his side. If they are to ever mount a serious threat against their father, it looks like it will be coming as people who are outside the company instead of inside the company. But this is kind of what he needed from the get-go if he wasn't going to pursue maybe the Tom angle, which went out the door because Tom is nothing if not loyal to Logan. So really rocky road to get there, but I think things are lining up for Kendall to make a bit of a comeback if he can get his mind right next year. Again, big, big, what if that's a big, if that's a big caveat, but I do kind of see a road forward, at least that the writers tried to set out. Yeah. Um, Kendall, I mean, he, he, he did <laughs> kill the kid. Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't try and kill the kid. He just legally, he, he would go to jail if his father hadn't, you know, played the eraser, but, um, yeah, it was, 
it was weighing on his mind, obviously, you know, a, a death. Um, and I'm sure for Jeremy Strong, it was cathartic because knowing what we know now about his process, he probably did kill a kid just so he could carry that with him to uh, use in the right, scene. Right. But yeah, a very powerful uh, scene with uh, Shiv and Roman, uh, Roman being himself and just continuing to joke and use the black humor until uh, Kendall kind of came out of it a little bit. And just like Shiv dragging him into back into the business world that he's so desperately seems trying to escape now for his own sanity. Um, my biggest problem with the episode was how quickly he kind of snapped out of it and went from, you know, sitting in the dirt, crying, being comforted to uh, back in the car for to kill his father. I don't know. Maybe that was just getting so much off his chest at once that he felt unburdened and was able to go into the room with his father, confront him, stand up to him when he's telling uh, when Logan's telling Roman that, you know, you can trust him and he's there going, no, you can't, you know, it's just, that took a, that took a lot of uh, courage. I mean, I guess that's what you would call it in that situation. And that just didn't seem like, a place that he would be ready to be just because he made his little confession, but you know, whatever it made the show work. Um, you know, he was as the, the rules of entourage go uh, one minute you're up the next minute you must be down. So, you know, season four kicks off, you know, there's something awesome that's going to happen and they're going to have, they're going to have their new legal loophole to get back into the company or something. So, we will see. Uh, good, it, another excellent performance, capping off. Glad he's glad he's not dead. I don't know what else you could say. Well, there's been a lot of discussion about Jeremy Strong's future with with the show. Whether they were going to kill him off, whether he's going to return. You read in between the lines on some of these profiles and what the other actors think. It doesn't seem like everybody particularly loves to work with him. Uh, I thought that this ending presented two avenues where either the show could go on without him, but I also think that there's an exit ramp for them to kind of like explain his absence. Like, let me give you one right now. I think he could probably go to rehab again and we couldn't see him for a while. So I think that some of the writing was about keeping their options open to show him at the depth of depths, but also showing that he kind of like had some sort of energy in terms of, of overcoming it. So I think that that was a smart thing by the writers to do uh, who probably have a plan, but may want to adjust that plan uh, in terms of personnel, like any good coach I'm talking about Bill Belichick. <laughs> of course, many people say Jesse Armstrong and Bill Belichick, very similar people. I'd love to watch them uh, eat dinner together and see where the conversation goes. Probably some amazing places. Yeah. I, I just don't know how the show works without any of these people. They, are just also good together and at the heart it's uh it's these three kids with jeremy strong with being kendall being the top like the most worthy successor in his mind versus their father and i just i i don't know how the dynamic really works it's kind of weird when when kendall's off doing his own thing and obviously if the actors like they they said things about what it's like to work with him, but 
I don't know. It, it obviously still works for everyone because as good as Jeremy Strong is, like Kieran Culkin and uh, Brian Cox and everybody are still so great in scenes with him that, you know, I, it's a volatile uh, chemistry, but it works. So I, I don't want to see him go. I don't think he will go. But, you know, prove me wrong. Go ahead. Kill him. I don't care. Strong words from Stephen Douglas as he takes an aggressive swig of water after issuing, uh, you know, indifference to a fictional person's death. You love to see it. 10 o'clock in the morning. Where else can you get into that stuff? Number four, our boy Greg. I got to say, Greg has ascended so far and against all odds. There were times where it looked like the man might be going to jail this year. He has figured out about leveling up in terms of dating. He is angling to be the next king of Luxembourg. He is just one fatal plane crash away from being Europe's weirdest king, a high honor, a crowded field. He's punching above his weight. I don't particularly love his attitude and the (laughs) new approach to life that he has, where it's just being a giant douchebag all the time. Uh, I kind of miss the old Greg the frenemy relationship between Greg and Tom has been so fascinating this whole time. We wondered where it was going and ultimately where it was going was a very fruitful partnership benefit to both parties. Greg has like, I feel like he's been Indiana Jones this season, like dodging blades and, and all the things that are coming to get him and emerging on the other side. He really does have a knack of getting around things, adapting. I mean, even when Greenpeace takes all his money, he will find ancillary revenue streams to explore. He is positioned very well going forward because he can have not just one Greg, he can have 20 Gregs. He is bound for the bottom of the top, which is the place everybody wants to be. Yes, uh, Greg, you love to see it absolutely the funniest weirdest most unrealistic part of the entire episode was when he's sitting in church with uh the the duchess or whatever on on his left and they're you know talking about something and then he turns to his right and there's our girl comfrey and greg is just i mean there's no way greg becomes a king i mean this is just this is just to give him something to do at a wedding because there's absolutely no reason that Greg should be at this wedding. Just like every single one of these functions that Greg turns up at, there's no, it's, he he just shows up places, you know, and I guess that's half the battle. If you want to be involved, you just show up wearing a suit, being tall and uh, follow Tom's lead and you can do whatever you want pretty much, including uh, maybe be the heir to a throne. So, and then, he he's given his choice from Tom, you know, no questions asked. I mean, it's kind of like at the end of heat where it's like, you know, you come with me, but you ha- we have to go right now. Uh, and do you want, do you want me my Sporos or whatever, whatever the name is of the, of Nero's, but castrated buddy. And, you know, Greg doesn't take long to think about it. He's like, yeah, what do I need? What do I need a soul for? And he's just, Arms wide open, ready to go with Tom. And obviously, again, Greg has made the correct decision. He has cashed in his chips in the proper place. And he is 
set for big things at the bottom of the top next season. Love the bottom of the top. Best place to be. Everybody should strive to land there. <laughs> Number three, Tom Wamsgans, and Tom continues to impress us. He's been underestimated his entire life. He has been sidelined. He executed an amazing game plan this season, one that was sped up by his wife being particularly awful, um, you know, basically closing the door on any type of dream of, of fatherhood he might have, telling him she doesn't love him directly to his face, kind of forced his hand. I mean, you spend that much time on the prison blogs, you're going to start to see the world in a brand new light. And that's exactly what happened here. The man offered to be the sacrificial lamb. He offered to go to jail. He did the one thing that really resonates with Logan, which is be a killer by double crossing his wife who was going to double cross Logan. Uh, he just had a fantastic career defining year. Uh, he is obviously competent at the ATN stuff. And I think that like, when you look at what Tom is doing, let's, let's remove his relationship with Shiv from the equation. He's almost stronger without her because as you saw, like the old guard who we had on number six on this list, the Waystar establishment, they don't have familial connections to Logan. They kind of get there by just making the right move. And I kind of think that that's Tom's path going forward. Like, I bet you that everybody in that room, the Jerry, the Franks, the Carls, they started as a Tom Wamsgan type and elevated themselves into that role. It wasn't just handed to them. I think that they proved it by fighting the battles early on. So in a, in a way, I think that like Tom's viability at the company and with Logan has real value. And more than that, I think that he could show that he has value under the Gojo led company, if he's going to be rated by Lucas Matson. So I think there's been this high level of competence that's been hiding in plain sight because everybody just laughs at him and demeans him, but really he understands the score and the way the world works in a way that Shiv never did because she's always come at it from a position of, of power and privilege. And Tom understands what it's like to eat tuna hot dish in Minnesota and the people who watch that network and what it would mean to ever have the opportunity. So I think that his skill set had to be like razor sharp and he employed all of it at exactly the right time. And I can't even really fault him for making the decisions that he did because when you're treated that poorly to your face and nobody's ever had your back in that family, what possibly could be holding him back? Because he rightly deduced that that was never going to change. Yeah. I don't think Tom is quite the underdog story where he's being sold as at the moment. He's his mother was a highly respected attorney in the uh, twin cities area. Let's not forget. So it's not like Tom came from nothing. Uh, he obviously, you know, he, he met a nice redheaded girl and got married and got a job at her dad's company. And it just so happens that he's competent and he is a, he is a high level suit and Logan really likes that. And he likes, I mean, he's, 
he's probably exactly what Logan wishes his sons were, you know, just uh, corporate killers and competent and not weird sickos and no uh, dependency issues. So Tom is like a family member without being a family member. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Shiv deals with this. Um, you know, uh, will they stay together? If if they don't stay together, uh, how would that affect? I mean, it'd be pretty funny to watch Logan pick uh, Tom in, in a divorce. But, yeah, Tom, I, I can see Tom in go, staying and being successful in Gojo. If Gojo even happens, who knows, you know. Uh, yeah, Tom, we, he's, he's fun. He's bringing along Greg, which is really everyone's favorite pairing on the show. So more Tom, more Greg. If the, the drama isn't as good, at least the comedy will be. Getting down to the nitty gritty here, there's only two options to emerge as number one in our final power rankings. No secret here, it's either between Lucas Matson or Logan Roy. And we went back and forth on this. And I think ultimately we are going to put Logan at number two, even though I think this is his most powerful episode of all at the big picture. I think that Gojo and Lucas Matson are in a far more advantageous position. So that's why he gets the number one spot, but focusing on Logan right here. Let me tell you when the kids come in the room at the end and he just sits there and waits, he calls them toy soldiers. He mocks Shiv's like, we need a super majority. You know, he tapped into something that we haven't seen very much this season or in the series at all. Make no mistake about it. He's still the alpha. Uh, this was classic. I mean, Brian Cox was unbelievable in this episode. There were times when we were doing these rankings this year where I said he didn't feel as physically imposing as he has in the past. Well, that's, that's all out the window. Uh, you want to talk about vitality. The man is chewing on maca root to get his sperm count up. Uh, he's considering procreating. Good for him. Uh, you know, we should all be so lucky to find that of late in life. But I really think that like he was as vital and strong and as powerful as he's ever been in the series. And he did that within the framework of basically conceding this is the best deal that he's ever going to get. He realizes that he has more in common with Lucas Matson than he ever would have thought that moment where they're meeting and they say, everything's kind of boring except this. Uh, and that's winning at business. And they ask his kids, ask him why he's making this decision. He's like, because I win. And it's just like for them to think, and for us to think for all these years that maybe there was going to be a different ending than whatever was most advantageous to Logan Roy was, was foolish. Uh, I think that we probably viewed that all through our own prism of what family means to us. And even though this one is dysfunctional, we can understand the kids wanting to be rewarded for decades and decades of kind of like the challenge that comes with being his son they probably should have known more than anybody that uh, what was going to be the ultimate ending here, but to see it play out, I found it really shocking because I thought that he was going to double cross or screw over one or two of his kids. He couldn't make everybody happy. I didn't think he was going to take everybody out in one fell swoop. I mean, it kind of seemed quick, his decision-making process in terms of like, I really want this deal. Like he approached it like he wouldn't want to like it, and he doesn't want to like Lucas Matson, but 
he wouldn't have got where he is in the world if he wasn't malleable enough to be like, this is what I need to do to maximize my own value. And I also don't really understand the thought process that like, this will be best for his kids. They can learn to make it on their own and make their mistakes, build their own pile. Well, where was that for the last 35 years, right? That could have always been the plan. That doesn't suddenly become the plan when someone's 40, like Kendall just turned. So as much as he wants to play the part of, of patriarch and, and father figure, there are obvious limitations because it will always come second to business and winning. Yeah, I, I just don't really understand how this is winning at business for him because it just seems, it doesn't seem like he would want to sell. It doesn't seem like he would want to retire. Um, he, he had his way out when he had his first health scare in like season one and he could have turned it over to the kids and just, you know, taken his billions. And I, it just doesn't seem likely that Logan would want to sell, but you know, this again, I guess, yeah, this is him winning at business somehow. So good for him. And he, he did try and take Roman with him. It seemed he gave Roman that last chance and Roman stood pat. Um, and so he killed him too. And now, you know, if he's really trying, I couldn't tell if Connor was just, well, no, I guess we saw the, the gross shake. So we know the mock root thing was real. So maybe he's trying to have another kid so he can leave all his money to them. Lots of classic Logan just being very mean, telling people to fuck off. Yeah, I, I do you really think that he would that this character that we've seen like fight because like in the first season when uh he was sick and uh Kendall found out the Waystar had like billions in debt of like borrowed money from someplace and they were gonna uh they're gonna default on their loan. That just this doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would who would really sell and cash out. Do you think that? No, I no, I mean there's two competing things, right? Like that's something you do at the end of life. And maybe he's grappling with that in his own way. Uh, but there are two divergent thoughts, right? At, usually at the end of your life, you don't try to have a kid. So maybe, you know, maybe there's a bit of a crisis going on with Logan Roy. In, in the legacy. I mean, I think that he's thinking a lot about his legacy in a way that he, he didn't early in the series. And he realizes that he doesn't want his legacy to be tied to, you know, pardon my French, his fuck up kids. Right. You know, like he realizes that's not what he wants it to be. And if it withers and it dies under their hands, then he's going to be diminished. So, well, I agree that the motivations are a little bit confusing, I, I do think that it was a necessary breaking of the dam for us to finally, after three seasons of this being like, okay, well, here are the battle lines here. What you thought was going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. We're going to close it out doing it this way. And I think it's going to benefit the show. I think it's also going to put Logan Roy in a way better spot and Brian Cox in a way better spot to be exciting and to be this adversarial figure from like really adversarial, not like muted and, and, and clever. It's going to be all out war. Um, and you saw how much he enjoyed all out war with Kendall. I, I think that it's, I think it's a really exciting Avenue for them to explore. 
but yeah, I, I think that if we sat here and we tried to figure out the mental machinations of, of the character, there's probably some, some nits to pick. Okay. So maybe he sees go somehow Gojo buying Waystar as his way into Gojo. So he can try and battle up and, you know, take out Lucas, which, which would be fun. Uh, but also, I just had a thought of why he might want to sell. Because, I mean, he has a wedding to pay for. I mean, Connor's getting married next season. That's going to be quite a bill. They've The weddings are very... They're, they're very high, uh, high expectations for a, for a Roy wedding. So, who knows what Connor will want to do. Well, Destination, I hope, definitely. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't take three quarters of an hour to get a gin and tonic. Because that would be a real tragedy. Number one, emerging in the top spot in our power rankings for the year is a character that we didn't even know existed until about episode six this season. And that's Lucas Matson, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And, you know, we saw the list of guest stars for this season. And we knew that, I guess we assumed that one of them was going to emerge and have a lot of power. This was the right choice. Josh Aronson was not the person. It's a worse show if Josh Aronson gets power and you kind of get like that aloofness. <laughs> it is a much better show when you have Lucas Matson playing, you know, someone we've never really seen before, like a, a tech millionaire who has maybe a screw loose or maybe just sees the world for what it is and it, it is in tremendous uh, mental figure to dissect he in a short period of time has look he basically asked he asked for this and that's what logan's ultimately deciding to do and it just took asking and it just saying look well what if we are in the power position what if we're the one doing the acquiring and the acquisition and you know i think that it's a new way of doing business. And I think that it's an upfrontness that Logan appreciated. They are in great position from what we understood the layout of the plan going forward. It's going to be his board. And really the only thing that the Waystar people have are his assurances, which we don't know how good they are, right? We already know that he was flirting with other buyers and other plans as this deal with Waystar was being hammered out. So to me, if it goes through, he has more power than Logan. He certainly will be hiring and firing people at his whim. We know he's combustible. We know that he's prone to going off to Macau when he's feeling lucky and going nut nut. So yeah. I just think that this person has ascended to the point where what Lucas Matson does next year is going to be the primary driving factor for the succession arc, in my mind, at least in terms of the business world. It's a tremendous accomplishment. Like I said, I think it's awesome for the show. If Lucas Matson and Logan Roy want to butt heads and have that internal conflict, that's awesome power play to watch because Matson is, I think that he, utilizes asymmetrical warfare right because he doesn't think like everybody else so it's a really hard challenge to outsmart him and outthink him and maybe rely on like human emotions because he doesn't really seem particularly interested in those i've been nothing but 
impressed and excited anytime he's been on screen the last few weeks. And I look forward to him being at the center frame in season four. Yeah, it should be fun to see him and, you know, just in a suit in an office or who knows if he's ever even worn a suit because he's just a weird tech guy. Um, maybe that's how um, Roman gets brought back into the fold next season because uh, he did apparently rate him as it were. And when last we saw them discussing it, he sounded like he was more than willing to have Roman be part of the uh, leadership team that helps bring the two brands together. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see him with other characters for the first time, you know, probably Tom, I don't really see how Shiv or uh, Kendall get in a room with him anytime soon but yeah he's he is our he is our leader right now um as long as you know they get all their paperwork done he will be in charge going forward he has earned his top spot by you know doing whatever the hell it is he did with gojo and maybe again this could work out for connor um you know Gojo needs that content. They need that sweet content. And so if that means Connor's travel show or his political show, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's been really fun doing this every single week and we will be doing it again next year. The show. I think that this episode may not have been its finest hour of television this season, but that's kind of a testament to how good it is as a whole. That's something like this doesn't even stand out. I think we've said multiple times that we're both excited about the direction that things are going forward. Some new life was needed and we got a huge injection of it. The post Tom Shiv world is going to be incredible, or maybe they stay together because like in a messed up way, she's into it. I'm glad you brought up Connor's wedding. That's going to be the social event of the year. And the show does weddings. I mean, they're the weddings. Every single one is kind of like midsummer meets wedding crashers and they just do it up big. Uh, and, and it's dynamite. I'm so excited at the decor. My wife loves to look uh, and get ideas for her business, which is, which is a perk uh, that's art imitating life. But maybe as we close here, like what were your thoughts on, on this season as, as a whole? And, and what was kind of like the thing that emerged when we had these conversations week after week that made an imprint on us, whether it be the characters or just kind of the general vibe that the show gives us? It's quite a show. Um, it's fun to, it was different to do a recap, like recaps I'd, I'd uh, previously done Game of Thrones and that was all writing. And it's a, it's a much different process. Um, instead of watching multiple times and, you know, writing out jokes and just this trying to keep it all straight in your head. And I feel like doing it this way, I, I might have retained less. Um, if not for, if not for the helpful memes on the, uh, on the Twitter. Um, succession is, I, I found this, the last episode here last night uh, seems to be kind of uh, polarizing because I've seen people saying it was like the best C 
season finale ever. And like even you who who enjoyed it, you're you're saying now uh, it wasn't it wasn't that good for Succession. So I don't know it's 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 so tough because we have to we have to rate everything in the moment and just like immediately this is the best ever this was very disappointing um it's a good show i you know and in the climate we're in with the content gojo is not the only one that needs content everyone else on the internet needs content so we have to decide what is what's the best where's succession rank and in the in the hbo uh ladder where's on mount rushmore I, don't know, it, I just it's a I guess my my thing about succession is it's just one of those shows that it's fun to be in that world uh, just to be around all these characters and whatever problems I have with decisions anyone makes I I mean I don't like the people really but I, I like watching them and watching all their interactions so succession good would be my uh, closing thought there you have it uh a wordsmith stephen douglas special shout out to us too through this season i mean nobody likes to hear podcasters pat themselves on the back but if you've heard a ruckus toy crying screaming getting through the child rain delays uh that we've both dealt with uh has been a struggle but it's only made us stronger we expect those to persist next year. There is no rest for the weary in that department. And we want to thank our kids for uh, chiming in as, as background noise as we did this. Yeah, it's been a process because uh, when we started, like the first uh, one or two episodes, we did it uh, right after. And then I had some issues with my children uh, going to sleep and staying asleep. So we kind of had to audible and start doing it in the mornings and you know just pretty much f- trying to find an hour of uh mostly quiet is is a little crazy and uh, but we we did it and it, it has been a lot of fun it has been fun and <laughs> i will genuinely miss the show as it goes on hiatus god knows how long it's going to be until we yeah. get a new season This has been Best of Seven Succession Power Rankings. Again, if you're just tuning in at the very end, an inefficient way to listen to a podcast, but I will give you the list as we close here. Final rankings, top seven, seven Shiv, six The Waystar Establishment, including Jerry and Carl and Frank. Number five, Kendall. Number four, Greg. Number three, Tom Wamsgan. Shout out Tom to get into number three. That's the accomplishment of the year for me. Number two, Logan Roy. And number one, Lucas Madsen.